The following audio is from Sand Hills Community Church. More information about Sand Hills Community Church is available at www.sandhillschurch.org. Good morning. You can be seated for just a moment. You know, are you ready yet for Merry Christmas? Are we ready to start hearing that kind of stuff? Yeah, you know, I was talking to somebody recently. You know, we were talking about the fact that we can't believe Christmas is almost here. But like, I can't believe 2019 is almost over. Like, I mean, the years for me are just clicking by, just crazy stuff. Although my kids have a very different perspective. But for me, things are clicking by. But here we are. We're in the midst of the Christmas season, celebrating it. Uh, also celebrating Advent. And we're in the second week of Advent. And Pastor Sean, what, what are we celebrating in the second week of Advent? Hello, 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 hello. The second week of Advent, uh, we're actually talking about peace today. About peace. Now, when Jack was talking last week, he said, you know, there's, there's kind of two perspectives on Advent. There's looking back, there's looking forward. Like, which one is this? So, um, it's actually a little bit of both, but we're mostly looking forward. But while, while so. looking back a little bit, you're looking back at what Jesus' birth meant, but what that really means, the fact that he is coming again. And so the theme is um, it's peace. And so we're looking forward to the peace that we will have on earth and for eternity with the return of Christ that's, that's to come. Yes. That is awesome. Um, I have a song request. Mm-hmm. Because i got to be honest with you, I hear, I hear bells. Bells? <laughs> we could do, can, we, can we do a song about bells? We might be able to do something with bells. Do a song about bells? Yeah. yeah. Do, do you know one? I do know a song that has a lot to do with bells. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> so glad you asked, Jeff. Um, and I'm going to ask our uh, odd squad to come forward and take our offering while we do this song. So this is a song um, that many of you might be familiar with. We've done it for the last couple of years. Um, and each time we do it, I find it helpful to just refresh our memory as to what the song is actually about. So it's called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Is uh, The words are actually just a poem written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And if you know anything about him, he lived during the time of the American Civil War. So he had just uh, lost his wife a couple years before he wrote this. And uh, this was during the American Civil War. And uh, his son went off to war um, against uh, Longfellow's wishes. He didn't want him to, to join the army. He thought he was too young. But his son went and did it anyway and joined the Union Army. And, um, and his son was badly wounded in the war. He came back. And so one Christmas, the war still hasn't ended, Longfellow was hearing bells on Christmas Day and thinking to himself, you know, this phrase we hear a lot at Christmas time is peace on earth, goodwill to men. But what does that really look like when your nation is being torn apart by war, when your family has suffered loss? Uh, so he wrote this song thinking, um, thinking about those things, trying to process that. So as we say, we're looking forward, we're still looking forward to that ultimate return of Christ where peace on earth will be an actual literal thing. There will be no more violence, no more bloodshed, no more sorrow. But even today we think, okay, we're not in an American Civil War, but we're very divided as a country. All I have to do is turn on the news, start a conversation about politics, and you'll quickly see that and feel it. We see social injustice, we see wrongs that happen in this world, and we wonder to ourselves, why are those things happening? Is, is there even peace on earth when there's so much hate? But we're reminded when the coming of Christ brought peace between God and man, and made way for that, 
but I think his coming actually brings opportunity for peace between man and man. See, it has to be that grace and forgiveness in our lives that has to be that prerequisite for us to even extend that same grace and forgiveness and mercy to others so we can't have peace with them. So as I sing this song, I ask that you would just listen to the words, meditate on it, maybe even just confess to God ways you felt this lack of peace where you ask Jesus, Lord, please do something in our world. But first, you maybe need to do something in my life and bring that peace and that grace so I can extend it to others. And 
despair I bowed my head There is no peace on earth I said For hate is strong And mocks the song Of peace on earth Goodwill to men And peel the bells more loud and deep God is not dead nor doth he sleep The wrong shall fail the right prevail With peace on earth Good will to men With peace on earth Good will to men With peace on earth Jeremiah 8, 8 through 11. How can you say, we are wise, and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? Therefore I will give their wives to others and their fields to conquerors. Because from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Right. Well, uh, as we said earlier, it is Christmas time. And of course, with Christmas comes all the Christmas movies. Now, I don't know about you guys. I grew up with uh, various Christmas movies. Our family favorite growing up was A Christmas Carol. And we liked all the different versions of A Christmas Carol, even the Muppet Christmas Carol, which surprisingly was done quite well. Uh, but anyway, so we like that. Um, as uh, we matured a little bit, uh, Elf became uh, a holiday favorite in our home as well. Uh, of course, you got to like uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, uh, Die Hard, all these other Christmas movies. Um, and then, um, but I've noticed that somebody has actually taken over the Christmas movie market, and that is Hallmark. Hallmark apparently has taken over the Christmas movie market. Uh, can I, just in a moment of confession, who here would say, I watch the Hallmark movies? Let's just see that. Come on now, put a hands up, hands up, hands up. Looking for men. Um, so I just, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, you know, I always like it too, the guys who are like, I, I just watch them because my wife watches them. You know, <laughs> sitting there in front of the TV like, 
It's beautiful. You know, the, the, and the thing I love about Christmas movies, the Christmas movies, um, they, oh, they start very similarly, regardless of genre. Uh, you have somebody who is miserable, broken, lonely, sad, uh, greedy, you know, whatever, you stingy kind of thing. You've got all these, this thing, and then something happens. There's an event, they meet a person, uh, and then they go through this, this transformation. And then suddenly they have love and joy and peace and they live a generous life. And, you know, all this kind of, there's this, you know, metamorphosis that takes place. And when I see this, I am reminded that the story of God is written on the heart of everybody, regardless of whether or not they follow Jesus or not. This idea that we all believe there's something broken about basic mankind and that they have to go through some sort of event that convinces them there's a different way to live. And we all want to see the people living that, that transformed kind of life. And uh, that's exactly what we're going to see this morning in our continued study of the book of 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles handy, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This, this theme in all these movies, this Christmas theme, it's a theme of redemption is what it is. And that's the theme of Christ. And that's why Jesus came to this earth. And it wasn't just the manger. It was, it was the life he lived, uh, the crucifixion he would undergo, the resurrection, uh, he would uh, demonstrate his victory, and now the life that he offers all of us who submit to him and believe in, in him for salvation. And so this, uh, this Christmas movie theme is, is really the meaning of Christmas. It is the redemption story. And when Paul is speaking to these Corinthians who've had an up and down Christian experience, and really when you study the people who lived in Corinth, we aren't much different. I mean, we, we tend to have an up and down Christian experience. Uh, that's what these guys are struggling with. <clears throat> and Paul is simply challenging them to follow through on the redemption they've already experienced. And he's dealt with that in a number of ways. But this morning, what he wants to talk to them about is being generous as a people, living a generous lifestyle. And in this regard, particularly this morning, has to do with handling their material resources. So um, the church in Jerusalem, and in particular Judea, the surrounding area, was really struggling. Uh, It was a time of famine, historically, and uh, the Christians were undergoing persecution because they were proclaiming faith in Jesus. And so people weren't doing business with them. Their businesses were closing. They had to relocate. And you have this, uh, this poverty that has come out of Jerusalem and in, in Judea. And so Paul is going around to churches that he's helped establish outside of Israel. And he goes to these Gentile churches. He went through uh, Macedonia, uh, which is north of Greece. And he went through Macedonia and asked those churches to give. And they did, even though they were very impoverished. Uh, as a group of churches. And then he comes to Corinth, and Corinth, by comparison, is a very wealthy city. And so he comes to them and he says, listen, I want you guys to live uh, a generous lifestyle as well, helping to provide for your brothers and sisters who are suffering in Israel. And so our theme this morning has to do with the generous heart. Um, And Paul's going to focus on this generous giving this morning. We're going to talk about generous giving. But let's just be honest, generous giving is hard for a lot of us to get our heads and our hearts around. It's it's hard... um, to live out, especially like when I, when I deal with young couples, it becomes apparent. So a lot of times I counsel young couples I have for a couple decades now, and I'll talk to them and uh, they'll be headed, a lot of them are headed towards marriage and uh, they'll say something to me like this, like, well, we're, we're definitely planning to get married, but we're going to wait until we have enough money to get married, right? Or, or then they'll get married and I'll, you, know, you might ask them, when are you having kids? Well, we're going to wait till we have enough money to have kids. Like, you know, I'm, I'm all for good planning. I'm all for wisdom. When's the last time you had enough money? For anything, right? I was there. Isn't there anybody here that can say, like, I could use a bit more? Like, I just honestly, I could use a bit more, right? So that's that's every. So you can't you can't do this. And here's what it reminds me of: generosity is not a matter of the wallet, but of the heart. 
Generosity is not a matter of the wallet, uh, but of the heart. It demonstrates something going on in here. You will never have enough. Um, it's, it, it is both simple and it's complex. That is, God gives us our resources, and then he encourages us to share those resources uh, with the people around us and to invest those resources in his work. But it is hard to do because once those resources are in your possession, we tend to, to clamp our hand down pretty tight, Right? Um, so let me, it's probably easier if I just illustrate this for you. So let me, let me illustrate this. <clears throat> okay. Somebody sitting too close to the edge. Here we are. Hey, um, it's you this morning, buddy. Uh, so could you please stand up for us? I, and you look so thrilled right now. Can I just, can you just turn around? Turn around. Let's see, you see everybody. Hi, everybody. Tell me your name again. Doug. All right. Everybody say hi, Doug. Hi. hi. <laughs> okay, Doug. Okay. So in this circumstance, Doug, I get to be God. Okay. Because I get to choose all the fun roles when I do these illustrations. So, uh, Doug, I have with me today some resources. So, uh, in this case, I'm, I'm the Lord. And, uh, Doug, I have given you capacity and opportunity, and I am structuring your life, but you can't always tell I'm behind the scenes. And uh, you have some neighbors, and your neighbors called you recently, and they asked you to come over and rake some leaves. And so you went and you just spent an hour over there raking some leaves, getting them all uh, taken together. And then once you did that, uh, the, the guy gives you some money. So he pulls out, and I've got $10 here. Uh, I've got a five and five ones, Doug. And so uh, then he pays you this money. So go ahead and take the money. And so now Doug has money. And it, the tendency might be for Doug to think, I worked hard for this. I earned this. This is my money. But what he forgets sometimes, all of us forget sometimes, is it's God behind the scenes doing all this. God has opened up the opportunity. God has given us the capacity. He's given us the strength. Um, and now we have those resources. And so he, he holds us now accountable to how we handle those. And Doug, I would say this. I've given you $10. I want you to use that in a, in a reasonable way. I, I want you to handle that well, and I want you to honor me because I've given this to you, okay? All right, so you hold on to that, Doug. You're going to keep that. that was, you're just part of the illustration, but you actually benefit from it. So that's good, right? Okay, good. All right. So, um, oh, actually, 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 Doug, can you come here for a second? Come here, Doug, for a second. Um, yeah, come with me. Come with me. Bring the money. Yeah, we're going to need that. Um, let's... Uh, Let's walk around here. Can you come with me over here, Doug? Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, let's see. We need, we need... Oh, come here. I got an idea, Doug. Come here. Um, hey, excuse me. Hey, uh, how you doing, sir? You can look at that Gamecock shirt, represent. I appreciate that. What's your name, sir? Haven. You know, I got, I got to be honest with you. I just kind of like Haven. And, um, and so, Doug, I would, would, you mind, would you mind giving a couple of dollars to him? Just give him a couple of bucks there if you don't mind. He can share That'd be good. You'll make me happy doing this, by the way. Uh, me a okay, good. Excellent very much. So now, Haven benefits you, benefit. Doug, thank you so much. That's very generous of you. You can go, you can go be seated now. Let's give Doug a big round of applause uh, for doing that. That's good. You keep it. You... All right, so here's, here's what I want to remind us of, that it is God who gives us all these great opportunities, and then he asks us to give generously. But the temptation is to think, this is mine. This is mine. I worked hard for this. I deserved it. It's just come to me, you know, my ingenuity, my capacity. And what God would be saying behind the scenes is, this is mine. Now, I had this. I gave this to you. I gave you opportunity. I brought you into this world. I've given you these, these perks, these privileges, all this stuff. Like, you had to work, yes. Um, but then when I want you to be generous, I don't want you to do it begrudgingly because it pleases me when you're generous with my resources, right? This is the perspective we need, and that's the, that's the hard one to get, but that's exactly uh, what Paul is going to be appealing for for these Corinthians. If you will turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he's going to give them, first off, a model of generosity, a model of generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... 
their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So I love this. He appeals to this grace of God, and the grace is generosity, is material generosity, is, is giving money, all right? And so they appeal to this grace, and he calls it the grace of God, which I love, because it's a reminder of God's stuff, not my stuff. Which, by the way, will cure some things in your heart. Because if you're not careful, if you're not careful, you begin to attach yourself too significantly to your resources. For instance, um, we had a, a couple that used to come here a few years ago. They don't come anymore. They're, they came here because their kids lived in Columbia. Their kids moved. They moved to be with their kids because their kids had grandkids and they wanted to be around the grandkids. But I was talking to this gentleman in our lobby one day, and he was newer to Sandhills at that time. And uh, he said, just moved up here from Atlanta. I said, what do you do? He said, well, I'd started a, a small trucking company, and I just sold it, and we moved up here to be near family. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool, cool, cool. I was like, your trucking company, tell me what you did. And so he's like, well, you start off, I bought a truck, and I would haul stuff for people, and then that went well, so I bought another truck, and then I bought another truck, and I was like, how big did your company get? And, uh, and I, forget, I wish I could remember the number, but it was like, oh, I just sold it for like $80 million, uh, and we moved up here. I was like, what? You did what? Who does that? That's beautiful. I should have bought a truck. Um, <laughs> You know, so, you know, so now here's the, here's the problem, though. Now, if you're not careful, and listen, he had to work hard and sacrifice nights and, you know, be smart and all that kind of stuff. But so he's a, he's a mess. Now, here's the, he was a great guy. He and his wife were wonderful people, and I wish they were still here. But anyway, they were great people. But the, the problem is sometimes if you're not careful, um, somebody, let's say the church is doing something. Like we've been talking about, we'd want to build this youth building and all this kind of stuff. So let's say that we were going to build this youth building, and you said, well, here's the deal. I will give you a million dollars towards that, uh, but I want you to put my name on the building. We're not building it for you. <laughs> We're building it for the Lord, right? And so this, for me, it reminds me of we get so attached sometimes to our stuff. Like, we want to be known for it. See, that's not God's economy. God is like, I want to be known for it, right? You know, the, the better thing to me would be, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I, it's, it's questionable for me at least. Like, what is the motive of the giving? And the motive is to be generous with what God has entrusted to me, but I realize this is his stuff, not my stuff. Um, and so we've got to be careful with, with how we handle that. It's, it's not all wrong, but at least it should cause a pause. So he appeals to this church in Macedonia. Now, the church in Macedonia was really, really poor. And uh, so he comments that they gave, and he gave, they gave joyfully uh, this grace of God that had been to them this, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. So even though they were totally poor, they gave to the relief effort in Jerusalem, which is really weird because they're the ones who also should have been receiving. And not at all, he gave them a, a chance to give. Um, it is really weird for us to figure out sometimes how people do this, but it does remind us James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, reminds us that we should count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so what the Macedonian church was learning through their poverty and their generous giving was how to find joy in the Lord alone. And so this was actually producing in them something wonderful. And it reminds me of this. We take mission trips to the Dominican Republic almost every year, and we've done mission trips for years. Uh, when you go to the, the Dominican Republic, and you go in a home, and this is, when I say they're dirt poor, it's the literal meaning of the term. You go, there are dirt floors in these homes, the ones we go to generally. 
And so you'll go in there, and as soon as you get in, they want to give you stuff. Like, hey, can I, let me get you a cup of coffee, and hey, we want something to eat. And then if you spend too much time with them, they're going to like buy you something, and they're going to want to give it to you. And your tendency is like, you have so little. Why would, and you want to say, no, 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 don't give it to me. Oh, here's the problem. What's the greater offense? Receiving or, or denying? Yeah, denying is the greater offense. What? Why would you deny them the privilege of providing for you something? Right? So, and, and this is what I'm reminded of. Both generosity and the ability to humbly receive are learned traits. So both generosity and receiving humbly, those are learned things. And I think we all need somebody to come along at some point in their life. And this happened to me several times where somebody would come along, put their arm around me and say, hey, Jeff, are you living a materially generous lifestyle? And like people I know who are close to me, like how much you given, where you're giving it, I'm holding you accountable. Like I've had guys like that do that in my life. That's been really important to me. But then the opposite is true too. Sometimes you need people to coach you on receiving. And I have seen this in this church for a couple of decades now. So somebody will go through a period of need, legitimate need. And so the church finds out about it. Some people in the church find out about it. We come along to provide for them and we, we go to give them something. And what do you think their first response is? That is the most illogical response ever. Like, okay, clarify. Are you in need? Yes. We have somebody or a group that has tried to provide for your need. Doesn't it make sense that you would receive that? Yeah, it does. And you're like, no, like it's more godly. Like, no, it's not more godly at all. It is more godly for you to receive it because here's the thing. God gets credit on both sides of the equation, right? So the person who gives delights that God has given them the opportunity and the resources to give. They can help meet this need. And then the person who should receive it can give praise to God because they know it's God who gave it to them through this other person. So on both sides, God gets glorified. Don't short circuit the process. Don't deny God the opportunity to get credit for what he is doing. So the next time you're in need and somebody comes and gives you something, you just say, thank you. Thank you. And then you give praise to the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean you can't thank the person. Obviously, there was a sacrifice from somebody else too, but you know who it came from. So you just praise the Lord. Uh, That way, God is honored on on both sides of the equation. That's what the Macedonian church has learned. And they've even given beyond their means. What does it mean? Did they give on credit? Like, no, it didn't work like that back then, not quite like we do. So give beyond their means. This is what it means. They gave beyond where Paul and the other apostles actually thought was wise. Uh, there's an example of this in scripture. I always forget where it is, so I wrote it down. Okay, Luke 21. Luke 21, you have the widow's mite. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but Jesus and his disciples are down by the temple. The temple has an offering jar out front. People are going by and they're putting offerings in it. And then this little old lady kind of shuffles up there and puts a couple of coins in, and then she walks away. And Jesus pauses. He tells his disciples, he said, did you see what happened there? Like, that woman just put in more than everybody else that is given because they gave out of their surplus but she, being poor, gave everything she had to live on. And, and, and here's what's interesting about that story. Jesus doesn't stop her. He doesn't say, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? That's not wise. Have you budgeted your money? Where, how are you planning this out? What are you going to do next month? What do you, how are you going to, like, he, he doesn't do any of this. And so I'm reminded that, that there is a fine line between faith and foolishness. Like, you know, like there's a, there's a part of us, all of us would say, hopefully, like, you do have to budget your giving. You have to think through it. And you don't want to take from what you need to eat as well, you know, but you do want to provide. And you do want to live generous, but you got to plan, you know. Like, there is this, there's this line there, and sometimes people step over the line, and sometimes God's actually honored by that. And, and so the Macedonians who, out of their poverty, even gave more, really, than, than they should, beyond their means. And Paul's like, you know, honestly, we can't believe it, but I think we know why. And he makes this comment, because they gave themselves to the Lord first and then to us. And there's something about when people are captured by the grace of God, it works itself out in the way they live their lives. 
right? And I'm not just talking material generosity. Generosity is a lifestyle. You know, being there for people, taking an interest in you, calling you, seeing how you're doing, you know, providing a meal when you're, when you're sick. You know, these are the kind of things we do. They, they throw parties for, for babies that, are, that aren't born. I mean, just all this kind of cool stuff that people, it's a generous life that, that flows from us. That's a part of how we live that out. And the Corinthian church, by contrast, was a very wealthy church. They were rolling in resources. And so Paul is actually using them as a model. He takes this impoverished church and says, look, I want you to look at them, how generously they give. And you guys now, I want to invite you to do the same thing. I want you to respond to what, what Jesus has done in your life as well. He calls them to excel in generosity. Excel in generosity. Look at with me in verses 6 through 8. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. He says, listen, you guys, you have shown so much spiritual maturity in so many ways. So many ways. I, let's, let's add to that learning how to, how to be a graceful and generous giver. Let's learn that as well. And then he says this, and I'm going to send Titus to you to hold you accountable. Like, can you, yeah, like, like, not only am I encouraging you to do this, I'm going to offer you some accountability. Titus is going to come down and he's going to take a collection. You know, like, I have heard stories in the past. I've heard stories in the past where pastors would put the offering baskets up front and then you would come up front and give while they watched. Talk about some accountability. You know, like, can you imagine the pastor watching? I mean, I just wonder how that service went. Like, hey, 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 what's written on that check? Open that check up. Let me take a peek there. You know, like, how much you put in? You crumpled together like a 20 on top of like five ones. That is not, you know, like, can you imagine? I heard of another church one time where the, uh, they took up the offering. They went and counted it and it wasn't enough for, uh, for the pastor. And so they shut the doors and they said, we're not leaving until we get enough money. Like, at that point, you're just, you know, purchasing an out at that point. You're like, you're probably never coming back, but how much is it going to cost me to leave this building? That's what I want to know. All right. So uh, there's all sorts of weird stuff going on there. But, uh, but, but he says this, and I think this is an interesting comment. Uh, I say this not as a command. All right. So Paul doesn't mandate obedience, he invites it. Because here's the thing. If I stand up here and I tell you, everybody should give this amount in the offering plate next week. Like if I say that and you do that as some sort of obligation, that hasn't changed your heart, right? That you're just doing what you've been told to do, and not everybody's even going to do that. So Paul, he's inviting, like, I want you to choose to respond here. This, this is the thing I want of you. So now it's a compulsion. And then he says, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. He says, let your giving be a test of your faith, that when you learn how to be a generous giver, it shows that you're living as a person who understands what they've received. And I know that because he connects it to verse 9. Now, I've said this before. Almost every passage has a money verse, right? Verse 9 I guess quite literally, is the money verse. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Okay, so now this is weird because Paul is literally appealing to a spiritual principle and he's applying it to giving money. That's, now that's a weird, like, we, like if we hear ministers do that sometimes, we're, we're skeptical, like what are you doing there? Are you really just doing this to be manipulative? And, and Paul is not. Paul's saying, no, no, no. Here's the illustration. Jesus and all of his wealth, sitting on the throne, right? It has the wealth of the universe at his fingertips, leaves it all for a manger, for a humble life with a, with a family, for the cross, so that you who are poor spiritually might become extremely wealthy. 
And then he says, now, the, the practical outworking of this in some ways can be how we treat our resources. And he says, so because he's done this, I want you to view people the way Jesus views them. And I would say this, that, that Paul isn't just saying there's a one-to-one parallel between the spiritual and the material, but he's saying it is, it is part, of the, part of the whole of who we're supposed to be as people. Like he's already said to them, you've excelled in this, you've excelled in this, you've excelled in this, now also excel in this. That that is, we're called to live a holistic lifestyle where we, we learn to uh, be loving and faithful and, and peaceful, and we learn to be generous. That's just a part of, of what he's called us to. So this is a reflection of what Jesus has done for us. And then he, he goes forward, verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. This ben- he is, he's, he's literally saying that those who give receive a blessing. Those who give receive. So you guys are, are you familiar with the health and wealth gospel? So the health and wealth gospel generally works like this. Um, you give God $100, he'll give you 1000 Right? You give God $1,000, he'll give you $10,000. Like, that's how the health and wealth thing works. Or uh, you're going through a sickness right now, your, your friend's going through a sickness, give money uh, to the Lord, and then they'll be made well. Right? And so I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and we are just saying, I said, you know, the funny thing is, I, I'm against all that, by the way. I think it's, all, it's all fake. But, the, but here's the thing. We really do kind of have a health and wealth faith. Here's how, here's how I mean this. You gotta think about it the right way. Like, when we're sick and we're struggling, and we give our lives to the Lord. Like, he gives us an immediate healing eternally, and sometimes physically. It says in the scripture. I mean, there's just sometimes God divinely heals people. That's absolutely true. Here's another thing. When you're sick and you're in the presence of the saints, there's a number of people here that will know you. Well, when you're going through something, they're going to gather around you. They're going to help provide for you, help take care of you, help nourish you. Like, there's, there's a, a restoration of physical well-being that the saints bring to you as well. So, you could say also that when I've learned to walk with the Lord, it has helped me to do away with excesses. And so I care about the temple of God differently. And so my ongoing health will be better than it was previously probably because I've really submitted my whole body to the Lord. So that's kind of a health thing. And the wealth is, is the same thing. When I'm going through a struggle, I appeal to God. Sometimes God just gives me out of the blue. He'll just provide for me. Or he provides for me that job or that opportunity I didn't see coming. Whether I, I couldn't really tell with his hands are behind it, but they must have been because I was in need and I prayed for it. Or uh, the saints gathered around and they, they knew we were going through something. They took up a collection. They gave us some money. You know, like I'm reminded that, that, that there's this thing that God does where he does provide for us. Or even this, that now I'm, I'm learning, I'm, a, I'm supposed to be a good steward. And so now I'm not just spending every dollar that comes in. I'm thinking as a wise steward, how do I handle resources God has given to me? So I get on a budget, and for the first time ever, I've learned to manage my money. Like this idea that when you're really a healthy believer, you become a wealthy believer. Not exorbitant. You're not driving Ferraris and living in mansions, unless you start a trucking company. But uh, like there, there's ways this works itself out. So there's a part of this that actually is uh, legitimate. So we are blessed when we give, maybe not the way the health and wealth people would say. And in this matter, I give my judgment, this benefits you. Who, a year ago, started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And so he says this, he says, a year ago, you guys were really considering being very generous, and then we went through this relational thing and you weren't so sure. He says, look, I just want to go back to it. Let's go back to what you started a year ago. Let's finish this thing out. Let, let's, let's do what you said you were going to do. And for me, I'm just reminded, like, if you've ever thought in your heart, like, ah, I've got to learn to be more generous. I've got to learn to be more giving. And then it just becomes that fleeting moment, like this idea that let, let's go back to that. If you feel like God has called you to that, let's embrace that. Let's lean into to being the generous people that God has called us to be. 
And he says, listen, I'm just calling you to the same level of sacrifice as everybody else. You don't even have to be as generous as the Macedonians. No, just according to what you have. You don't have to go into debt to do this. You don't have to use unwise judgment to do this. Be generous with resources you already have. That's all I'm asking you to do. Uh, Verses 13 through 15. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. That's curious. He actually finishes with a reference to manna that God used to give to the people, that those who gathered, they all gathered what they needed. There wasn't any left over, but they all had exactly what they needed. And then he talks about this idea of fairness. He's he's like, and I love this this comedy makes too. So that um, their abundance, so your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need. And so he says this: there's a reciprocity that goes on here. You're in need right now, or they're in need right now, so you're going to give to them. You are going to be need probably at some point in the future. They'll be there for you. But not only that, they've actually already been there for you. So let me explain this by telling you they actually follow through with this. We know they follow through with it because it shows up in the book of Romans. Here's what we find in the book of Romans. Paul says, at present, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. All right, so he's gathered now the offerings. For Macedonia and Achaia, which is Greece, that's how it's referred to in the Second Corinthians here. Uh, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So again, Paul linking the spiritual and the material. But but here's the comment he's making, and here's what he's talking about. The reason the church in Jerusalem is struggling is because they love Jesus. And so um, their businesses have struggled. They don't have the money they used to have, all this kind of stuff. And there's a famine in the land, so all these things are struggling. And Paul says this, listen, you Gentiles, and that's where he's taking the money from. He's went around the Gentile churches. You Gentiles, the only reason you're following Jesus right now is because of the great work God did through his chosen people, the Jewish people. And now you're a recipient of that. And, and so you're grafted into this vine he talks about in the book of Romans. Um, and so he says, actually, there's a debt you owe them. Like it is because of what God did in and among the Jews that now I want you to care for them. Now, when we're talking about these Jewish people here, these are Jewish people that have converted. They've given their lives to Jesus. So they're providing for um, the Christian Jewish people. Um, And so he said, listen, your spiritual blessing came out of that. I want you uh, to give to them. All right, so here's, here's my question for us then. How do we live this out? How do we really live this out? How do we live in such a way that we uh, invest heavily in the work of God? So let's talk about tangible generosity, tangible generosity. So as I think through this, I I go back to when I was a young man. So when I was a young man, I didn't have very much, and I had a low-paying job. And uh, a friend of mine, I I was just starting to figure Jesus out a little bit, and a friend of mine came and he challenged me. He said, Jeff, I want you to start giving to the Lord regularly and generously. And so we talked about how I was going to do that. He challenged me, and I listened. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Because I thought about this. And here's the thing. When you're young and you get these odd jobs, you don't have a lot of money. They don't pay great. And you need more money, like all the time. And if I had waited until I felt like I had enough money to give to the Lord, I never would have given to the Lord. And and it is much better to learn to give generously and regularly to the Lord when you have little, so that when you have much, you'll have made the transition. But if you try to start cold once you're already mature and you've got your career and you're in it and you're just starting to walk with Jesus, you realize, I got to that's going to cost me a lot if I really if I really do this thing. It's a much harder transition. And so I've tried to coach my own children, even now, like they're getting their first jobs, hourly jobs. And I'm like, you give to the Lord now. Don't, don't wait until later. Learn it now as a skill. And then as you mature, you just kind of, it grows with you and then you never really miss it. 
So learn to give generous. Now, here's another thing, too. When I think about generosity, there's all sorts of charities out there. And you can give to all sorts of charities. But for me and my family, we've decided, generally, we just give to Christian charities. Because I figure everybody else will give to all the other charities. But I want charities that, that take care of not just needs, but minister to the soul. And uh, only Christian charities are really going to do that. For instance, we do uh, clean water filters to the Dominican Republic. I think all of us would say, we want people all over the earth to have clean water. I mean, we, that should just be a natural part of, of life. I mean, we, we so take for granted our water fountains, right? <laughs> you can drink water out of your kitchen sink at home. I mean, that's, that's not something everybody in the world can do. And so we want that. But at the same time, when we do it as a church, we present the gospel with the water filter. That is, we, we talk to them about, and we use the water filter as an illustration about purity and holiness with pure water, and that, then we have dirty water that's you know, been stained by sin, and then we have the filter that cleanses us, which is Jesus. You know, we kind of do this whole illustration. But the, the point is this, that I desperately want you to have clean water, but even more so, I want to be with you forever in eternity. And that only happens through Jesus, right? So when we think about this, that's a way to, to do that. And so as I, as I think through the best way to do this, perhaps, perhaps the best way to do this uh, for me, is to invest in your local church. Invest in your local church. Um, and here's, I'm, I'm going to defend this this morning. So if you're saying, you're like, did you preach this whole thing just so you could talk to us about giving to the church? Okay, no. Yes. But, but, but walk with me here. Walk with me. I think this will make sense, okay? It's not self-serving. I mean this as a general principle, not just a Sandhills principle, a general principle. So Because the local church does things like this. First of all, our priority is, should be, the Great Commission. The Great Commission, that is, charities do all sorts of stuff. They help people in all sorts of ways. The one thing the church does that is unique is that we're there with the primary objective of helping people come to know Jesus. Like that is the main thing that we're all about. You can give a whole village clean water, but if they die apart from Christ, it has all been for naught, right? People need Jesus as a first priority. So the Great Commission is our first priority. Uh, second is this, the equipping of the saints. The saints or the, the people of God have to be equipped. When you train the workers of the Lord, you multiply the work of the Lord. And that is our, that's our goal is to make sure that we as a church, all churches should be doing this, that we are all equipped to do the work of the Lord. It's one thing when the staff of, a, of an organization are trying to do the work. It's another thing when you've trained all the people to do the work of the, the Lord. It multiplies a hundredfold what we're able to do. And that's what we want to see is the work of the Lord go forth. Uh, here's another thing you get out of that, church planting. Local churches start other churches. This is, the local church is God's idea. It's not something we came up with as a way to get people together. This was something God invented. Uh, it's a mission he put together, and this is how he propels his gospel forward and how he teaches us about fellowship and humility and love and all these kinds of things. Uh, local church is God's plan for the world. And so we have two C's, right? The big C church, which is all churches everywhere for all of time. And then we have the little C church, which is the local expression of that. And so when we think about Columbia, uh, there's a lot of little C's, but there's only one big C in all of Columbia. There's only one real church in all of Columbia, those that are purely uh, submitted to Jesus Christ and, and trusting him for their salvation. Uh, when you invest in the local church, they also are investing in starting churches, which is what we do. For the past 20 years, we've given, I don't know how much it is now, hundreds of thousands of dollars to um, investing in the local church. And in fact, that's how Sand Hills got started 20 years ago. Other churches in our district gathered together, gave money so that this little church that may or may not make it with this guy who was just coming out of seminary and nobody knew him, you know, that, that we might be able to do something maybe, right? And they invested in that, and here we are, and now we give back as a part of that, helping start churches. And we've started, helped start now numerous churches uh, all over, not just North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, but throughout the world at this point. Uh, social justice, that's another thing. People are all into social justice. Well, that's one of the things the local church does well. So we help address local and global poverty. Uh, so on a local level, we help people out in our congregation all the time. 
Um, just for the past couple of decades, we've been helping people out. Um, and we don't just help them out with resources, though we do, but we help them out with coming alongside them, finding out what they need, connecting them to people, uh, helping people with skills come together. You know, not all giving is uh, just writing a check. Some giving is, oh, you need help. This person can do that, like our, our auto care ministry. Like there, there are people that are like, I can't afford to have something done to my car. Like we got a group of guys who will be glad to work on your car and you can just pay for the cost of parts. You know, and so we you know, kind of help people out when they're, they're in need. That's something we do. Not only that, we, um, this last year, we helped pi- um, partner with uh, a group called Global Effect in the Dominican Republic, and we did microloans for several businesses. That is, people who have these business ideas, and, and they want to take care of themselves, and, uh, but they just need some resources. And so, I, th- I forget, it. is Malcolm in here? Pastor Malcolm in here? Maybe, no, I'll get him later. So, oh, you are right here. How many microloans did we do this last year? Four, four loans. And you told me just this last week, like they're all going. They're like, they're all cruising, right? So we helped four people start a business this last year. All the businesses are still going. And now these people can provide for themselves and their families. Like that's totally cool. And it was all done in the context of the gospel. It is like, we love Jesus. We would love for you to love Jesus. Not a mandate. You got you to choose this. But just because we want you to know, because we love Jesus and we want you to love Jesus, we want to offer you this loan. And they went out and they started these businesses, and now these businesses are going, and they can put food on the table. I mean, that's an awesome, awesome thing. Uh, making a difference in public schools, that's something else. There's a, there's a lot of people that, a lot of Christians who struggle with the public school, even if your kids are in them, I totally get it, but we have been invited in, and we work in Rice Creek Elementary School, and we've got a great relationship with them. We love them. They love us. Uh, we help provide for them. They've helped provide for us and some things, and then we get freedoms we never would have had otherwise. We've been able to talk to them very directly about things that we believe and uh, the Lord that we love, and so that's a, a perk of ours as well. Uh, helping marriages and family. I mean, let's be honest. If we could fix the family, you'd fix society. And uh, that's one thing the church is all about, is helping us figure out how to have godly families, to be the, the husbands and wives we need to be, to be the kids that we need to be, to parent the way we need to be. Uh, it's a journey, but that's something the church invests in. Another one's a picture of racial reconciliation. Like, what a beautiful thing when people walk into Sandhills, and I hear this all the time, they walk into Sandhills and they're like, I can't believe when I look around the congregation, just how you guys are all different, all different backgrounds, you can tell, socioeconomic, ethnic backgrounds, and here you guys are worshiping Jesus together. And I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a picture of what the gospel does. Uh, or even this, that we intervene in destructive behavior. <laughs> and that could be anything, uh, destructive behavior. But we're all prone to excess, and that gets us all in trouble. And so one of the things we do as a church is we help hold people accountable, help encourage them, help them get them into counseling, uh, help with recovery when we can. It's a part of the journey of the church. But all of these things are, are things that churches are involved in. Um, but the main thing is this. We get to be a part of investing in a work that will last forever. Like when you, when you give to the work of God, it, just, it, it outlives you. Where are you going to find an investment that offers returns like that? Nowhere. Uh, let's pause now. Let's bow our heads for just a second here. And uh, let's pray. Father, we know that um, it is a gift to be able to share with, I guess, with your kingdom what you've entrusted to us, and to see the results, Father, to know that we invest in real life change. This thing that uh, Paul was calling the church in Achaia to, the, the Corinthians, uh, and what he was calling the Macedonians to had, to, had to do with real needs. And Lord, when we see this, we see this idea that, that you give to your people privileges, opportunities, and resources, and it has nothing to do with how much you think you have. It has to do with having a generous heart. And when your church operates well, and we invest generously. Lord, we, 
we see all sorts of things. We see people fed, we see people taken care of, uh, we see pain alleviated. Uh, but more than anything, Father, we see the gospel go forth. And that's what your call was, to, to think about what Jesus has done for us. And so, Lord, we let that be on our lips as we go out and live these generous lives, calling people, uh, calling people to their Savior. And that's what we're celebrating at this time of year. The Lord who stepped from heaven, stepped into a manger, lived a life to show us how much God really loved us, and then went to his cross to pay a debt we could never satisfy only to walk out of a grave three days later, proving he had satisfied man's debt with God. Lord, let us be generous people, just as Jesus is for us. In your holy name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Sandhills Community Church. Feel free to share this with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information, please visit our website at www.sandhillschurch.org.